Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose terrifying bones will never fall from the sky. <laughs> I am the Adam Class, and uh, I God, I hope so. Um, I can only imagine your your illustrious nightmare bones drifting through the sky for the rest of eternity. It'll be beautiful, really. Well, they don't even drift; they just freeze, right? So. Well, I assume it's a that like the budget was probably not super high on this film, and they're meant to just be in the air. Yes, is my is my thought process because them just being frozen in space is kind is is not weirder, but like seems less poignant. If it makes sense <laughs> to me, like, if that makes sense, like it, it, I I imagine they're drifting through the air, like that they're just like right. never gonna fall. I don't know right. what it means. Uh, no clue. But your bones will do that, too. I hope so. I'm not implying you that you are a murderer or a rapist. I'm just saying that your bones will do the same thing. I, also, I want you to throw my <clears throat> bones in the air when I die. This is okay. the official, uh, my official end of life uh, paperwork is now this episode of the podcast. Okay, but you uh, need to understand we're going to do this 2001 A Space Odyssey style, not this movie style. Yes, I'm no, just going to hit your bones with other bones and watch them. Fly up that is fine, but also you need to understand I'm not going to be cremated. That's fine. I will rip the bones from your flesh, and do, I, I'm cool with this. Thank um, you. I personally don't see a problem with this. <laughs> I so I mean I think it's I think it's worth putting into this end of life uh, sort of like uh, what your final wishes document that you want me to butcher you like an animal. Yes, yes, okay. that is. One hundred percent accurate. Uh, please do not consume my flesh. I don't want that. Oh God, I'm not a monster. Uh, I would never do that. But yes, please. Uh, <laughs> if I die before the Criterion Collection dies, please leave leave all of my accumulated flesh after you've cleared it off the bones. Just on the steps of the criteria, just in the closet. <laughs> I, I like the, the idea that at collection. some point, I was hoping it would go the other way, and that you're you're a ima- you're in your imagination at some point you will accumulate pharaoh like power, and that I will be able to have you buried with the actual physical Criterion Collection, just like no, the whole no, building no. entombed inside of your, of your inside of your tomb with you. All uh, the workers, everybody who's ever been involved with the Criterion Collection, ha- has to be buried with you. I don't want to go into too much detail because it's icky and uh, I don't like to think about death. Um, you know, as a human, can I really even comprehend my own death? Uh, I mean, better better than most things, I, I would argue. But um, anyway, uh, I want you to I want my bones to float in the air for all of eternity. But I want everything else just to sit in the corner of the Criterion closet, <laughs> just like in a coffee pot or something. In the corner. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like sitting in like an old waste paper basket or something. However, I like it. however, however, it needs to be just done. a big old fucking Tupperware Obviously container with no full bones, of Adam's You can't flesh. like prop me yeah. up, but no, no, you'll just be a. Um, what's the? Wasn't there like a Doctor Who episode where like they? Where the person doesn't have bones or something, I can't remember. You might be thinking. I mean, I'm sure that's happened, but you might be thinking of the 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 character who's just a woman's face stretched. Yeah, across. I mean, I probably am mutating that particular character yeah. in my head, but I just I felt like there was this one where they like some like people's bones got taken away or something. I don't know. And it became people puddles. <laughs> that seems accurate. That seems like it seems a like a Doctor Who thing, thing right? 
Um, if it's not, I'm sure it will be at some point. Um, yeah, it's uh, I like this idea. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, of of turning you into a meat pile in a, in the Criterion Collection or the Criterion uh, Office Space. Before we uh, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. The way we're going to pay for your meat pile, specifically, <laughs> yes, yes. via Patreon. Yeah, indeed, indeed. This is, this is a small percentage operation. of all money given to the Patreon goes to goes to fund my end of life. Mostly, it's litigation to con- <laughs> to, <convince laughs> to allow this all to happen. The to you have the right to make this happen. To let the body part happen, and the you know just every. Well, the the massive number of hot air balloons I'm going to need yes, to keep your bones yes, afloat for all eternity. The, yeah, the R and D necessary to keep my bones to in make the your air. bones lighter than air. Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, tough. I'm not a bird. It turns out, yeah. uh, but not yet, at least. Not, not yet. yet. Uh, before we get into any of that further down the line in my life as it is, as I, I very much hope this is years in the future and not something I need to determine. Yeah, I mean, today. we're not, we're frankly not ready. Um, right. Honestly, the R&D is not complete. None of it's ready. Right, so right. honestly, we're happens soon. What I'm going to have to do is probably have you frozen and then kind of keep working on it, honestly. Right, right. I suppose you could just freeze my head. Uh, could do, could do that. Yeah, I could put you in a jar uh, and then, then you can sit alongside Nixon in the future. And, yes. Yeah, We're going to talk about our Patreon, Pat. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, for just a dollar a month over there, you uh, you want to send us that dollar? We'll give you access to a bonus episode. It's always a non-criterion <laughs> film. This is really weird this week. <laughs> you want to send us that dollar? Here's what you're going to get. <laughs> Here's what you're going to get. Uh, you also get to vote on what, uh, what that bonus episode is going to be. It's always a non-criterion film. I put together a little list based usually based on a movie we watched recently, though quite often also based on suggestions from uh, from our other supporters. Uh, as of this recording, the most recent poll uh, is a list of wish fulfillment children's films. Which on, all deserve to be in the Criterion Collection. Let's on be very Disney clear. Plus, uh, after one of our supporters, uh, Adam Speckerman, uh, pointed out that uh, Kazam, which is always a choice on every single list I've ever made on that poll, uh, Kazam is actually on Disney Plus. So I made a list where Kazam actually qualifies for the main list instead of just being the tacked on other option. Uh, and I'm very happy with it. Uh, where uh, the poll is not quite closed as of this recording, but we're probably going to end up watching Blank Check for that, the mid 90s. Movie about a child who gets a million dollars, steals a million dollars from criminals because the criminal's an idiot and gives him a blank check to cover his bicycle repair. Uh, a, a film plot that could not happen in any time after 1995. And, uh, right. Well, <laughs> and it couldn't even have happened in 1995. No, not really. Not really. Especially the I mean, part where the 35-year-old... Uh, FBI agent maybe has a crush on him. The child, yeah. I mean, not the Checks criminal. Out. 
Though, like, suppose the child is also a criminal, but... Yeah, I mean, yes, actually. (laughs) We'll talk about that in the bonus episode. If you want to help out, you want to hear that, go over to patreon.com slash lost and criteria. Like I said, just a dollar a month. We watch movies uh, that are better than Plague Check, too. Uh, Over there, we've watched... Sometimes, yes. Over there, we've watched Silly uh, Lumet's uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Louis Mollet's God's Country, or I uh, can't remember the name of the director, but we've also watched the Will Ferrell starring Kicking and Screaming. Uh, uh, I'm I'm really proud of you for not knowing who the director of that is. Yeah, I can't remember. Who I it think is that shows that. a real a real a real good inclination on your part. Yes, self for self preservation, right? Um. No, because I've forgotten my enemies instead of instead of Ben. I should I always be on the lookout the... for another movie directed right. by that guy so that I know not yeah, to watch it. Yeah, that makes it. sense, too. I was more thinking in line of, like, you having ever done the research to find out who directed it shows, like, almost too much interest in the movie in and of itself. That's, that's fair. That's fair. It is, it is by far the worst movie we've ever watched. But, yeah, just a dollar a month gets you access to those bonus episodes, gets you access to all of the previous bonus episodes, all the new ones, and uh, gets you a vote to decide what we'll be watching next over there. Uh, for a little extra dollar, $5 a month, um, you not only get that vote, but we also like to thank those people on air. Uh, so Adam Speckerman, who I've already mentioned once, is also a $5 supporter. So thank you yeah, to Adam thank Speckerman. You. A little above that, $10 a month, we do something that I think is really special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get it printed up on postcards, uh, write a little thank you note, and mail that off. We also like to thank our $10 and above supporters on air. So thank you to Michael McGrath and Jason Westhaver yes, for your you continued so much. support at that level. This week, I wonder, I wonder what fresh hell this new uh, this next <laughs> month will be. I can't wait to find out, Pat. This week we're watching "Vengeance Is Mine," 1979, directed by Shohei Imamura, uh, which I'm sure I said wrong still, even after we practiced. So it's okay. We're doing we're doing really well this week. I think. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> we've seen one other uh, one other film directed by him so far, and that was the Pornographers. Uh, which we watched a long time ago. Way back at uh, Spine 207, in fact. And this is is 300 and, what, 84. 384 is this one. What was it again? What was the... 207. uh... Yeah. Can't whistle on on this but yeah right it's been it's been uh a long time since we've seen work from him not that i've missed him we didn't really like the pornographers so. no i no we didn't and i don't really remember a lot about it. i i feel like if we're being honest this is probably a better movie yeah uh like right right just down to the nuts and bolts of it like uh if memory serves it's like the pornographers a really long time ago but I remember feeling like it wasn't a super well constructed story, uh, as, a, as a feeling I remember. Yeah, uh, that like it it didn't feel like it had a lot of like had a good po- like didn't have a lot of what point I, to it. What I remember about the pornographers is that uh, like this movie, part of its point was about just the underbelly of Japanese society, and also uh, like this movie, it had one really weird thing that didn't make sense in the universe. And in that instance, it was uh, 
a fish who was maybe the reincarnation of, of one of the main characters. Oh, see, I husbands. don't remember that at all anymore. Uh, and we kept I'd cutting totally to the fish. Gone. Well, what's the, what's the thing that you don't think – oh, is it just the, the bones at the end? The bones floating in the air. <laughs> yeah, I feel like really he wants to – I'm getting the impression, and, and we won't know until we if, – if we ever watch another movie of his. I don't yeah. know that that's going to happen. But uh, if we – I may investigate them later on just because out of my own curiosity. Um, he seems to, like, have this desire to inject some element of magical realism into these stories. Yeah, but like in a really like weird and kind of uncomfortable way. Um, I assume that's because the stories are just generally so dark that he feels like they need some something. Yeah, to make them seem a little bit less dark. I can kind of get that. He did. He has directed some interesting. He's got this. Um, a history of post-war Japan is told by by a bar hostess. Seems like a really really. Uh, yeah. It's a documentary. It seems really interesting and right up my alley. Something I'd be really interested to watch. So, well, uh, we will we will see a box set of three films from him. Okay. Uh, at uh, starting at Spine four seventy one. So in two years, uh, yep. we'll watch uh, Intentions of Murder, Pigs and Battleships, and The Insect Woman. Um, yeah, I mean, I, in- th- I I will say that this movie has lightened my opinion of him a little bit. I hate, look, right. let's be clear here. I kind of hate this movie. Yeah. Like, this movie is everything I don't like to watch, okay? All just just jammed in, into a very uncomfortable, it was a deeply upsetting two and a half hours, okay? Yeah. That we lived through. Uh, that being said, I think it is well constructed and it is good. Like, it doesn't happen a lot, but I think this is a good movie which contains nothing I enjoyed watching. <laughs> if that makes sense, I get that. No, I understand. Uh, so, an interesting fact about our director here that maybe didn't come up with the pornographers, but also the pornographers was long enough ago that I don't think either of us really remember much no, about that conversation. Besides, generally, we didn't like the movie. Um, Imamura was uh, the studio apprentice to Ozu. That makes sense. I can see that. There, you can feel like if if Ozu made films about really really dark ass shit. Yeah, you can you feel can feel that if a guy trained under Ozu and thought Ozu was not portraying real society. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. No, I totally. I can feel that. Like you can just feel. I don't. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what... It's probably the way people are shot. Yeah. Like, the way that everything feels like a case study of a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we, we focus on the people really heavily. Like, uh, the way they're framed in the in the film and stuff does definitely have an Ozu feel to it. Right. Um, darker, for sure, but but like not just <laughs> right. in... Right. Not just in content, but also in in style. Ozu being pretty is, bright, I feel like in his. It is a, a direct uh, confrontation against Ozu's restraint in right, in every yeah. way. Uh, but actually, there is a there is a moment in this movie uh, where we see a couple from behind who seem to be the parents from Tokyo Story trying to check into oh, yeah. it. Um, which is which is an interesting callback to Ozu too. Yeah. Uh, well, but, but but if 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 Imamura is actually trying to, 
I don't I don't think it is reasonable it, based on what I see in here. I don't think Ozu thinks that or uh, Imamura thinks that Ozu is a bad director or oh, no, bad no, no, no. at no. or that he even thinks that Ozu is wrong. And putting something that looks like Ozu's characters into this would would kind of highlight the fact that like the the normal people that Ozu films also exist. Right. They are real people. It's not all the thing I'm showing you. It's just that, you know, the thing I'm showing you also exists in Ozu's world kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think it's not he, all that clean, that cleanness, you know? I think his MO from what we've seen too far, so far, and we still have, we only have two films and one of them was long enough ago that I'm, I'm remembering it through the frame of this yeah, film anyway. Yeah, I right? remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think one of his, one of his main ideas here is that Ozu's austerity, uh, his his primness about culture, uh, his insistence on politeness, and uh, and ultimately Ozu's uh, uh, submission to traditional uh, traditional ideas of what is proper. Uh, which we see repeatedly in Ozu's work. Even oh as, yeah, for even sure. As, that is Ozu's even as those thing. ideas are are rejected in some regard and and played with and reinterpreted, uh, they are still existent. This is a rejection of all that traditional properness, right? This is Imamura is saying uh, that's not what Japanese society is, uh, and well, or right. or he's pulling away the veil. Of politeness on top of that, because one thing about this movie I really, I really feel uh, is that you know we get a cross section of different types of middle and lower class Japanese people too. You know, yeah. our main character isn't evil uh, because his dad's got Catholic guilt. You know, he, we meet other people who are just as bad as our main character uh, for for other psychological reasons, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, despite the despite vengeance is mine uh, being a a phrase from the Bible, uh, but vengeance is mine says the Lord is uh, well, is and that's perfe- that's purposely truncated here, on, right? Purposely on purpose, truncated. Right, yeah. uh, it is not. Uh, it is not the Japanese Empire's uh, degradation of uh, a Christian minority uh, during the war, taking taking the father's boats uh, and forcing him to to say that he give it, he's giving them willingly. Uh, we are not we are not taking revenge against society because of that. We are not taking revenge against society because of how we've been treated. We're not taking revenge against society. Uh, for any really explicit reason, even as a lot of reasons are hinted at, fainted at, uh, but but none of them are given. This is just a guy who. Well, and that and that that does point, it. That 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 you know we see it explicitly said in the, in the sort of the way you know the way the game the game the way the movie is shot. Uh, with the sort of recollection as he's giving his statement slash not giving his statement, right? Right. Uh, points to the fact that, like, we get into a very uh, Ron sort of, like, um, scenario where you can't actually know truth. Like, it's a, right. we, 
we, the audience, could never... Po- and this is a real person. And that's important, right? Is right. it like, we can never actually know the truth, right? Like, that's impossible to know. The, like, what his actual motivations are, right? Like, that's not a thing we can't... We could ever be privy to. Um, no, no matter what, right? Like, that's impossible. Uh, and I think that that's a thing that, you know... Again, I think in many ways we're going to come back to Ozu and stuff, right? Like, Ozu hints a lot in his movies at sort of almost universal truth to Japanese society, right? Right. In in his cleanliness, he depicts, even though we see culture clashes and culture morphing and changing, Ozu is very much a Japanese traditionalist. He, he, right. he pictures a Japan of the past as being better than the Japan of the present. In that, in that culture being the thing that we should refocus on, which we've talked about before as being a very dangerous inclination, right? Right. Um, right. Because that can be twisted and turned very, very quickly into, you know, violent, aggressive wars and things like that. Um, so I think, you know, we talked about that. Uh, whereas, you know, Imamura is definitely trying to point at the fact that, like, truth is non-existent and irrelevant anyway. Like... Knowing his motivations is a impossible and b also irrelevant. It doesn't actually matter, like why he did this stuff, right? Like it's not really actually important. Uh, and I think that is part of why you he would want to have that ambiguity, not just to point out that it that it's unknowable, but that like, who cares? Like, I mean, why does that actually matter? What is motivated? Like the police are trying to get it, but. So, like, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, like, it knowing why he did it will not bring anybody back. Right. Will not will not erase the past or something like that. I mean, they died they died no matter what and they died and there's no way you could ever imagine that their their death was in some way a good thing. Right. So, but by by eliminating by not providing an actual motive, I think he's also suggesting that this is also an immutable aspect of maybe humanity. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I, and, maybe and I don't Japanese 100%. I, I don't buy it. I, I, and I think probably you are right that Imamura is probably hinting more at humanity than just Japanese society. Yeah. I will say that, like, I've lived here long enough that every so often you get a story like this in the yeah. news. Right. Like, and, and some of that has a lot to do with the sort of the nature of crime and and violence in Japan, being generally like you know there aren't there aren't guns really, uh, violent crimes are not uncommon but are because they're not able to reach high scale generally speaking, they make a lot of news, and when somebody gets away with a spree, it becomes yeah. really 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 big fucking news yeah. like. The whole country just stops and watches. Like, I, that part is very accurate to my personal experiences here. That, like, the country doesn't freeze, but, like, that becomes the only thing you talk about. It's the only thing you see on TV. And, and some of that does have to do with rarity. And there are other kinds of crimes that, that get that same attention or other kinds of tragedies that get, get that same kind of attention. A thing that will happen sometimes is, uh, very unfortunately, domestic violence is a big problem in Japan. 
and uh, every so often, especially you, the news will be taken over pretty dramatically by you know the, the passing of a child or something like that as a result yeah. of that sort of violence, and uh, it also takes over the news. It's just so shocking, right? Um, and again, the the sort of thing that just doesn't make big national news in the United States because just totally different dynamics, right? <laughs> right, because it's maybe a little too common in the U.S. Well, too common, and also just to the country, like the countries, the dynamics in the United States are just so wildly different, right? Relatively speaking, right? Like larger, larger it, area too. It's a much bigger country, and that's a big part of it, right? Like, whereas there is a sense that Japan, I, I talk about this a lot at my job, but like. Like it or not, there is a sense of Japan as a unified body, yeah. as a as a as a as a whole, and and so a thing that happens in Hokkaido is still relevant to a person living down where I am. You know what I mean? Even though that person, that thing is whatever, like a is a pretty long trip away. Yeah, it's still considered relevant. Right. It's, Where shit that happens in California is not super relevant to an Ohioan, honestly, right. most of the time. Right. Though instances of workplace violence, instances, you know, if, the the fact that, that these are uh, strung together is what would make it national news in the U.S. Not, yeah, absolutely. Not like a serial killer list. like this. I mean, this is this yeah. is a serial killing. Let's be – I mean, right. like the M.O. Right. keeps a mod, uh, changing. Right. But, but like – this person is on a killing spree, yeah. and it would make they're news all, anywhere. Uh, they're all weird crimes of convenience that that maybe well, we don't, don't have. Right. But that's an yeah. M.O. in and of itself, right? Like serial killers. Right. I, I've never been big into it. I've had friends who are. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting topic to learn about. But that strikes me. that This behavior still strikes me as a pattern of behavior, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like this is an identifiable pattern. Because – and and it's interesting because the dad really sort of hits it on the nail on the head at the end and is the closest we get to an identifiable um, sort of M.O., right? Or not M.O., but like um, motive, right? Is sort of like he specifically lashes out against the people who pose him zero threat. Yeah. Actually, right? Like people right. Who, have n- are, who are in no way a threat, not even a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, at times it feels like it's all it's all about getting away and stuff, but he purposely chooses people who are in yeah. no way dangerous to him, even a little bit. Seemingly um, former co-workers, not even current co-workers. Right, exactly. Though we have no idea why he left that job. And uh, Well, we do. He was in jail. Oh, and, yeah, he was in jail. And, and he was. I don't know if that predates or postdates. It's a little confusing. The probably, timeline, because be of the way it's true. told, yeah. is a little bit confusing. And then... But also, he's very clearly, like, not the sort of person who keeps a stable job for any length of time, right? right. Like, it's that's right. obvious, right? Um, it's right. unlikely that he's ever held a job for longer than a year. Like, it seems almost inconceivable, basically. <laughs> but uh, well, he spends at least six months pretending to be a college professor, so that's like a job well, in and uh, of itself. On and off, right? Like the right. college professor angle is also a thing of convenience, right? He's a lawyer while he's a college professor, right? 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 He just calls himself whatever he thinks he can grift money with. I think there is there is symbol in the, symbolism in this film that seems pertinent to him representing Japanese society and not just human humanity. Um, yeah, the fact that the first murders take place during the spring and a persimmon tree. 
<clears throat> in bloom prominently features in those um and then you know every all of our present day stuff uh where he's actually in the police department is all a snowy winter afternoon right uh, the fact that he's improvising haiku like <laughs> throughout right. the I entire mean, movie <laughs> i mean it all make it all makes sense right it does it, yeah. you are right you're i mean that is that is an accurate way to think about this movie and reflecting on the idea, like, see, we talked about this in the past, like, uh, uh, Jason brought this up on, on Twitter, and we talked a little bit about seasonality and why seasonality is so significant to Japanese people. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I mean, that is the way that Japanese society has functioned for basically pre- since prehistory, right? And that has not changed, right? Like, the the highest form of food culture in Japan is tracking the seasons like making sure that the food you have is coincides with the season high forms of of art are seasonal right like you see and it's not just limited to haiku haiku is a good example but like it's not just limited well. to the uh movie titles of ozu it's not right absolutely but like you can see it, it it's a it's a motif that's repeated ad nauseum right. throughout japanese society that like the season is significant and meaningful uh, to the sort of actions and behaviors of man, and that and that sort of stuff, like that sort of, uh, sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of the not symbiosis, but like between man and nature, directly be de- being directly dependent on seasons, right? Like what you do depends on what season it is, and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. And yeah, I think that and that and that's an interesting observation, right? Because like the whole thing winds down. His death is winds down it's winter time when everything dies right uh um is all yeah really right very significant yeah right um and we've talked about that in regards to the ozu films too absolutely yeah yeah um well and and that's how this is part of how he ties it back into to japanese society right and culture in the in the idea that like this is all part of that same whole, right? You, the Ozu stuff requires it does mean that this exists, and this existing also means the Ozu stuff exists, right? Like they all right. exist simultaneously in the same world, right? Right. Everyone's self interested, even to the other detriment of others. Yeah, that's but true. even he, and, I, yeah, it's a self interest, but well, but he murders mind, people in order to steal their money and and keep not and, working basically is <laughs> right i mean it's and it's really complicated right because the amounts of money he's stealing are enough to get by yeah and they are and they are significant at the time that we're talking about they are meaningful amounts of money but they are not so me- they're not like it's not a bank heist right it's not like a right. it's, it's still like grifting right it's still petty theft right uh and and then and then murdering for that is such a and murdering for that so he can leave a live a both a a a somewhat decadent but also like on the run lifestyle is it's really interesting that part is actually really interesting to watch right because he could get a job that would pay him the amount he's making right. off of this. In fact, he could get a job that would pay him more than the amount he's making off of this. Go back right? to pretty, truck pretty driving he probably amount. makes. Yes, tr- very, very accurate. Like The amounts of money that are being named never get much more than about $500. And considering the time frame that we're covering here, 
he's not making more than like about $500 a, every two weeks or something like that. So it's more than a person than a truck driver would be paid, but it's obviously also very inconsistent, right? Sometimes it's 10 sometimes it's $1000. Yeah. Like when he steals that bail money and sometimes it's like $200. Right. And 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 again, the time period that this takes place, that is a significant enough amount of money to be but the way he likes to live his lifestyle also it's not, right? Like he burns through that money really 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 quickly, right? Um, so, yeah, that's because he also has an insatiable appetite for prostitutes, apparently. So, yeah, well, and that's an interesting, well, I mean, he, he has an insatiable appetite for women in general is, is yes. what, cause you know, the, the ways he ends up sleeping with women is very, very, it varies quite significantly throughout the movie. And it's always fair. through deception in, in some way or another, <laughs> right. right? Like it's always deception. Right. Uh, but then. And 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 violent, right? Like, it, it, to, with with for the most part, right? I mean, we literally start the film with him as a rapist. Right. Like that's jo- that's step number one, right? Yeah. That's that's literally how his story begins in this movie. Um, with his future wife, right? Yeah. I mean, which you know, I mean, that frames the entire story, right? Because she comes calling. To essentially force her rapist to marry her and take claim of his child, right? Yeah. Uh, which already tells you a lot about society at the time. Uh, th- this movie does speak volumes, yes. especially about the nature, like the position and situation right. of women in Japan. And 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 based on what I see from his other works. It seems to me, and then I, like I said, some of these movies are actually kind of intriguing for me, and I'd like to watch them someday. Um, it really seems to me that while Imamura seems to be picking men as his main characters, he is in many ways trying to frame the sort of situation of women in Japan pretty clearly. Yes. Uh, and, and point out sort of just how sort of fucked up and dire the whole thing it is. Right. Uh, the whole thing is. Uh, because, you know... We're again. We're literally starting with a woman who's been raped, having to basically act like this was all planned activity, essentially. Right. Which is so, and then and then live her entire life dealing with that, which is some real fucking horseshit, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Which, you know, that's very interesting because obviously, you know, we talked a lot about that with when a woman ascends the stairs. Right, yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, which which frames those issues for female life in Japan through a woman's as the main character, uh, right? Whereas and, this, and, and yeah, this it it steps away, steps back a little bit from that. Uh, but it's about you know it's a lot of the same things you know when a woman ascends exactly. the stairs it's also about how every every male character in that movie is deceptive yeah uh and we talked about it during that episode it's deceptive in a way that you know you could argue that the the women are being deceptive in their job as a host but their job that's their job and everyone understands that that's their job Right. These men are coming in and being deceptive 
in a way that is not upfront. You know, there's no right, and as and is also specifically aimed at acquiring what they want and then getting yes. the fuck right. out, basically. Right. Like, I I think I I would say also though that an important point about the sort of difference between the two is that, um, by you know. Uh, so Russo's a better director. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but again, I I do like what Imamura is is trying to accomplish here in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I find it really upsetting to watch. Yeah, I think that in some ways, by framing it from the perspective of a man, it allows him to be even more violent, though. Yeah, which which I think is is one of the things that's kind of lacking. In when a woman ascends the stairs, if I had to ever identify a lacking point in that, which I don't need to, yeah, um, it is not as violent as it could be, which is a reality that, um, right, and in that way is sort of pulling punches, right, uh, because, right, the as we uh, you know as it's not hard to figure out, like not hard to know, uh, in any society, a woman's life can be extremely violent, can be full of violence, right. Done right. on, done to her, and and that is definitely true in Japanese society, especially circa this time period. Um, uh, the post-war period for Japan uh, was not a great time for anybody. Uh, yeah. We're we're at this point we're past the immediate post-war, so you're past the occupation and stuff like that, obviously. But women's rights go through a lot of ups and downs post-war um, because you know. The people who, air quotes, brought women's rights to Japan were people who are not notorious for having great uh, women's rights. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, it, it, in many ways, a woman who sends the stairs is, is lacking in that one particular area. And, I, and make because the, the movie wants it to be a study of her and and sort of her 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 fortitude. uh it would it would ruin the movie, mind you, to have more violence. Yes, uh, but but there's already plenty of violence in this movie. Well, that's what I mean. It's like, but in a woman ascends the stairs, having more yeah. violence in it would be would in some ways ruin that, right? Uh, and would ru- ruin the pacing of the film and stuff. Would make it too extreme yes. uh, in its in its emotional swings. Uh, but this is this serves as a nice counterpoint to that in many ways, right? Um, not nice in the in the viewing sort of sense because again this is a very painful movie to watch uh, because you know he this this the person in this movie is a is fundamentally identifiable as a monster and treats all people as objects but especially women as objects around him. I mean that's yeah his one of his major personality traits. Right. Right, and you know to. To this movie's credit, I suppose uh, his his violence is not specifically targeted at women. No, no, I think it is. It, it's even easier for him with yeah. women. It seems like than with men. Right? You know what I mean? Like, there's even less anger, which I think to a certain extent points to the fact that th- he just views them as even being more disposable. Yes. Um, especially when you deal with with the end, the way he kills his. Uh, the the innkeeper is just so matter of course. Yeah, it, it has no, almost no emotion attached to it. It feels like, uh, at least that's sort of the way it's presented. But then again, you do get the same thing with the uh, with the lawyer, right? And we just find the aftermath of it, right? There's just a dead lawyer in a cupboard, right? Right. 
Um, so, right. you know, he, he has no regard for life. Zero, right? That's a part of who he is. Do we... What do we know about that lawyer? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, what... I mean, what do we know about him? What they we know where he meet lives. each other at we the know. jail? Uh, uh, are you talking about the female lawyer or the or the man he killed? The guy, the guy he murders because they they meet on the train. Well, they meet they getting meet into the taxi, into the taxi outside yeah. the bail office or yes. outside like the the bail office, and then they share a train. Yes, and they talk about most of the conversation is our main character establishing. Uh, <clears throat> A uh, a background, a new identity, yeah. uh, and then murders him and takes over his identity. I'm just thinking, uh, with the title "Vengeance Is Mine" and that being, you know, purposely truncated, uh, but pulled from you know, "Vengeance Is Mine," says the Lord. Uh, the idea of uh, of our main character as some sort of avenging angel, some avatar of of justice. Uh, you know, as he kills, I think, I think you can argue, uh, in a lot of instances, he kills people who sort of deserve it, perhaps for minor Well, things, but they maybe like his deserve, co-workers in, who in, get, his co-workers in like, who get drunk on the clock. But they, like, but in like shitty horror movie ways, right? Right, like, right, I mean, right, right. He convinces them to get drunk and then murders them, right? Yeah. It, it, and, and keep in mind, he had his specific motivation for that is stealing that money, right? Yes. Um, he, I think, I think Vengeance is Mine is purposely meant to be, like, ironic yeah. titling in that it's not even actually vengeance. Right. Like, or alternatively, it's vengeance against the one person he can't take vengeance on, which is his father. Right? Like, right. he does all these things because out of some weird pent-up rage, like, the closest we get, because the movie does comment on this a couple times, is that you know the the old lady at the at the at the end talks about it his father talks about it the one person he can't hurt is his father who's the one person he actually wants to hurt right right that's who he wants vengeance upon and he's all the of one this he's not going to be able to do right all of this is in a way just to embarrass his dad <laughs> yeah kind of yeah yeah and that and that's interesting because like we start off, and we sort of set the sort of precedence for that when he attacks the soldier who's attacking his dad, and then like his perspective on it is his dad just being a weakling, right? Um, which we you know we can all identify as yeah, not the the takeaway on that, um, and and the fact that like he never really seems to have matured from that point perspective, right? Like, uh, is is interesting, but like the reality of the matter is is that like. When we get right down to it, again, we talked about this before we started recording. I, you and I either buy into the idea that every person who commits murder is mentally ill. Right. That's right. just not a that's not a reasonable pers- perspective to have on the earth, unless you identify like the willingness to commit murder as a mental illness itself. Right. Like that just then it gets very recursive. Right. Um, but but like just like not a, you know whether we the the classic thing right like if. Every elephant is gray, but not everything that is gray is an elephant, right? Like, yeah, he is actually mentally ill. Like, he very clearly is mentally ill. He suffers from, I don't know what it is, but, like, right. you know, he's incapable of comprehending other people as having value and being meaningful right. in, his, in right. the world. 
and like and then also conceiving of his dad as being weak for not letting the soldier murder the entire village basically to get the boats right right these are these are flawed beliefs right about the world right like they they point to a a, a serious lack of ability to comprehend the world right. as it actually is right um and so you get into this sort of thing like his vengeance is this is based on some weird delusion about the way the world actually works right 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 it's He has been a victim of unjust situations, certainly. Right. His family, right, his yeah. village. But his yeah, life. and that but the 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 book the movie very clearly is trying to like he's not the only one, right? Like right. his father is the main character in that scene. Right. But it's right. the whole village. Right. It's the entire Catholic community on Goto Island. Right. Which everybody in this movie or everybody should be aware of as far as the director is concerned is a group of people that has suffered injustice from Japan right. for their entire existence. Right. There is a reason that they are end. part of that minority. Yeah. If in the narrative. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's a big purposeful choice as well. Of for, course. For, I mean, obviously it is, but, uh, you know, with Imamura's, you know, even if this is a true story, which, it, you know, it's based on a true story, right? Right. Um, picking a member of a very, a very distinctly noticeable and, uh, extremely poorly treated minority group uh, that is actually still Japanese is it was probably a very purposeful choice on Imamura's part to to point out that like even right from the very beginning this is not actually a, hom- uh, a homogenous single monolithic society we're talking right. about here right like, to just put that to a lie right from the beginning right you already have outsiders you already have people who are not truly welcome right yeah uh, and that's that's an interesting counter to to Ozu too, yeah, uh, exactly. In that the only time we really get unwelcome outsiders in Ozu are the hints at American occupation, yeah. Uh, in what was that late autumn? And they're not Japanese, that, and that's the yeah. important thing, right? The only outsiders are people who aren't Japanese in Ozu's right. world, and that's a problem, right? Because Japan has plenty of minority groups. Like choosing the 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 Christians is a the Catholics is a very specific, like very identifiable choice, but there are yeah. Plenty of other Japanese minority groups that are severely downtrodden uh, by Japanese right. society, and and uh, they are still Japanese. You know, I mean, well, and that, that's a thing that we, is worth identifying. We get a hint at that too in the opening conversation: the two women who discover the first body, uh, where the one says, uh, "Oh, he's not Korean," as if that makes it slightly more okay. Well, or, right, oh, he, absolutely. Oh, he is Korean. <laughs> Or yeah, or or makes yeah, it I've worse. Lost tra- yeah, it's that it's really yeah that that whole thing is really uh, that whole thing is really interesting. Uh, it comes from a really strange place. I was trying to comprehend it when it was happening in the movie yeah. because um, there is another group of of extreme. Well, there are they, how downtrodden they are is, is a, a matter <laughs> of discussion. But yeah. there is a group of people in Japan that are f- a lar- a fairly large community of people who are uh, d- direct descendants of Korean laborers who were forced to work in Japan uh, during the colonial period yeah, and decided not to leave for ob- you know various obvious reasons, right? Not wanting to go back to a war right. that started almost immediately after, you know, they, you know, after World War II ended and also like not having any real connections to Korea anymore because many of the second generation, things like that, or their whole family in Korea is gone, that sort of stuff. 
Uh, and so, like, there is an entire group of people in Japan that are also treated as outsiders, who many of whom have lived in Japan for many, many, many generations at this point. Uh, and so that, and I assume that's who they're looking, like, they're pointing to, because, like, in general, there won't just be random Koreans wandering around Japan, especially in like the 1970s. Yeah. Like, that's just not a thing that's going to be ha- like just wandering through the rice fields. That's just not a thing that happens. So I have to assume that's the group that the person started. But then also the movie points at the idea that like she believes she can identify if it's a Korean based solely on like looking at the body, which is a wild ass thing to believe is accurate to my experience in Japan about people believing they can just identify various ethnic groups by sight. Yeah. But like, how would you know if he's a Korean or not? Yeah. Very weird. So I don't know. That that whole scene is very strange. And I don't know what Imamura is going for there, but he has to be trying to say something because it's a very strange scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's just it's the first sort of crack. Yeah, in, at the idea that this is all just social one structure big old even before we actually get yeah. to to the actual first murder. Right. The first crack is a is a commentary on on racial relations within the country. Right. You know, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. It, it, it like I said, I find it, it. You know, I I find the themes of this movie extremely upsetting. Yeah. I don't I don't generally like violence that much. Right. Uh, especially when it's when it's treated as being very real, uh, uh, in a movie. Uh, I, you know, I can deal with sort of co- what would be traditionally termed as cartoon violence fairly well but yeah just w- yeah but beating like, someone to death with a hammer is not cartoon right and just like and just cold-blooded murder really yeah. in a movie really does actually bother me yeah quite a bit and then especially when directed against women and children and things like that i have a really big uh, problem with i mean i have it against men too but like i don't know i have an extra oversensitivity to that i guess um yeah. uh we mentioned that this was based on uh real events um it is based on a book by uh, Ryuzo, uh, sorry, Ryuzo Saki, uh, about a serial killer named uh, Mishiguchi. Uh, Nishiguchi. Yeah, Akira, yeah, Nishiguchi Akira. Yeah. yeah. Like, doesn't have a lot about him in the. He doesn't have yeah. much of a Wikipedia article. Yeah. Um, the, one of the bonus features on this uh, that I got a chance to watch is an interview with the Directors Guild of uh, of Japan. Uh, fairly late interview, um, as in fairly recent. Certainly, certainly quite a bit after 1979 when this came out. Um, and uh, one of the interesting things he talks about, uh, just because it's basically a series of anecdotes about the production more than anything. Uh, right. One of the interesting things he talks about is when they were when they were filming on location. Uh, the whole crew was staying at this certain inn. And it happened that in the same neighborhood, the uh, uh, the serial killer's sister owned a noodle shop. And again, he presents this all as sort of coincidental happenings. The sister came to the inn to seek the innkeeper's advice, perhaps not even realizing that the film crew was there on what to do if the film crew came to her shop. Oh, my God. 
And uh, the innkeeper told her, just run it. Just just do your thing. Uh, run the shop like nothing's, nothing's going on. Keep going. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, Imamura heard that and decided that he should send some of the film crew over to the shop to sort of, I don't know, show her it wasn't going to be a problem. Uh, and they ended up just going there every day and it became, it became the, the shop that the crew hang, hung out with when they oh, weren't that's shooting. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty wild. He also talks that, uh, um, Saki's book, uh, is formatted as sort of a, a police inquiry, which we get we get some framing element of right here. Uh, but uh, but he decided to do his own sort of investigation. So with book in hand, went and sort of retraced the steps of the serial killer to right to figure out what he wanted to do with the information, as opposed to what Saki had done with the information. Uh, so yeah, I, it's, uh, interesting minor details, but really nothing, nothing deeper than an anecdote. Um, apparently, uh, um, okay. he and the, uh, the star, uh, Ken Ogata, uh, were not getting along at the time of shooting, uh, and barely talked to each other on set. Wow. Uh, from what I've read elsewhere, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. I can see that, but you know, yeah. Still, they both they both managed to do seemingly a good job. Yes. Uh, despite that, like I said, like it's it is hard to separate my feelings about like the content of the film from what it is. But like I would say that it is largely successful at what it its goals are. Uh, it is very dramatic. Um, you know, I mean, um, so yeah. Uh, an interesting thing about this movie for me is that like how much of this movie takes place in like basically my backyard. <laughs> like I know until they get like, a, like, I mean, I've been to all the places yeah. that are in this film, like within, within reason, right? I've not been to that village in Fukuoka, but like, uh, like Fukuoka is a, an hour, an hour drive. I was there, there literally today. Yeah. Um, you know, it, go to Island. I've been there several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite famous, um, you know. You you in those in those sort of those are the sites of like hidden Catholic churches and things like that uh, from the Meiji yeah. period and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so that's all down in Nagasaki. These are also also only like an hour from my house. So uh, it was kind of an interesting thing. Like you get up to they get up to Hamamatsu and stuff, which is further away, obviously. And I but I've been there. Uh, I literally had a. A business trip to Hamamatsu like this year, so you know, I mean, it's it's just interesting because I'm really used to watching Japanese movies that are either set in the past so far that like it doesn't matter, geography doesn't matter, or are so unconcerned with geography that they're just sort of set in the, in nebulous Japan or set in Tokyo, right? And I don't have any personal like interest in Tokyo, right? Like I've been there, yeah. I have to go there for work, but like I don't, I'm not super engaged with it as a place. Right. Whereas having a movie that's basically literally just all in my backyard is really a wild experience. Yeah. It's weird because a lot of the a lot of the Japanese film we've interacted with treats treats Japan as 
Tokyo and not Tokyo. Like yeah, Illinois. Tokyo, not Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Illinois is Chicago and outside of Chicago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and it's fascinating because like literally he would have had to like it's just a, it's fascinating because like getting from place A to place B would have literally gone through my town. That yeah. sort of stuff. That's a wild thing to think about uh, when I'm watching a movie. Right. One of these murders could have taken place in your house, Pat. Well, my house didn't exist, thank God. Uh, could have taken place in the in the elementary school that was where my house is now. I'm just saying, uh, time travel is didn't. not out of the question within this movie. Well, I mean, my son is convinced, not so much convinced that we have ghosts, but really wants there to be ghosts in our house. <laughs> uh, and I keep having to talk to him about, A, there not being any such thing as ghosts. Yes. But even if they were, that would mean somebody had to die here and the house is brand new. And I don't think anybody was murdered at the elementary school that was here before that. And then we get into this thing because I have to have this conversation with him about the fact that, like, if ghosts were real, we literally would just be walking through ghosts all the fucking time because significantly more people have died in Japan. It probably we're at the point where literally every square inch of habitable land has had somebody die on it at this point. Yeah. Um. So, like, what's the lit? Was there a statute of limitations on how long ghosts get to be around? <laughs> well, uh, otherwise, it's just a sea of fucking ghosts. When you don't get um, new ghosts. Because all ghosts are Victorian or older. That's just the rule. Well, for Japan, they're all Meiji era or <laughs> yes, older. Is the general rule. Like they all have to predate. Well, not Meiji era. They all predate. They're all they're all Edo era or earlier. Yeah. Uh, as a rule, uh, yeah. You don't ever see any non. You ever see any modern ghosts in Japan? Different, slightly different eras, time wise, but pretty much tracks. Right. <laughs> they all have to be wearing either samurai garb, geisha garb, or uh, or. Samurai era peasant garb. Those are the yes. three options they get uh, for, for outfits for ghosts. Uh, yeah. No, no. You never see anybody ghosts. in like, yeah, no caveman ghost, and also you never see like a ghost who's wearing like seventies fashion. Right, right, and that's generally true uh, for ghosts everywhere. Really, well, I, I, well, one, one must wonder though. If we if we do stipulate that new ghosts are possible, perhaps there's some sort of ghost wardrobe de- wardrobe department <laughs> where they like swap you out and they're like, "I'm sorry, this is just not going to fly. Um, you're part of our community now, and this is the sort of outfits you get to choose from. Would you like to be the, a geisha, a samurai, or a peasant?" The very first step of the afterlife is an old timey uh, photo booth, and <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like um, you're going to need to pick your your. And you're your not theme. allowed to return anything. Yeah, I'm very sorry, um, but these bell bottoms and uh, and this leather jacket are not going to cut it. So you're going to need to swap out. Um, so take your pick: samurai, geisha, or or peasant, sir. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, if only. Uh, hey, I, I mean. Love- I love that your son really wants your house to be haunted. No, he's, he's, this is this has been a long running cover, topic of conversation. There's very clearly he he asked me about it, yeah, but in a way that very much implies that this is a thing he wants to be true. Yes, uh, ghost stories are a big part of Japanese culture of for children, especially. Of course, uh, I would I would argue even more so than my experience in America. Like ghost stories are very very important in Japanese society, uh, and. Yeah, he just really wants there to be ghosts here. And I I keep having to break it to him that just, I'm sorry, uh, I don't know where any Indian burial grounds are in Japan. He doesn't get the joke, but... Uh, yeah, you know. you're a bad person. 
Well, bad dad for making that joke. Well, he'll watch Poltergeist someday. Yeah, and then he'll it'll all make sense. Yeah, I I I like to. In many ways, my parenting style could be best described as clue giver. Um, I really like the idea that I'm setting it all up to lock into place many, many years after my death. That at one point he'll realize that this is sort of like you know a sort of Chekhov's gun sort of scenario that by his, his entire life or something like that, where it's like it'll go off in the act after I'm gone, and it'll, and it all lock into place, and he'll be like, "Wow, Daddy." Dad really was an excellent storyteller. Yeah. And in that way, you will be. He set up a lot of things in the first act for me to find out when I'm 45. Yeah. Yeah. And you will haunt him for the rest of his life. Yeah, I will be the only ghost he ever meets. Yeah. That is my plan. And I will be wearing samurai outfit for some fucking reason. <laughs> like, Dad? <laughs> like, hey, rules are rules, kid. I, I, don't, I don't make them. I just follow them, okay? <laughs> See, that's what I want now. Modern ghosts. Clearly modern ghosts. To, yeah. But still, still yeah, dressed like, in I the gotta, old ways. There, there are rules, okay? This is what I get. Yeah. It was either that, peasant or geisha, and like I look terrible <laughs> in makeup. You do. It's true. Um, so, yeah. No one's a good person. and uh, No, but let's be clear here. Like, But I some mean, are worse than others. And... Well, but also, like, I mean... Self, like it definitely, the movie identifies self-interest as a problem yeah. in society. That like yeah. people are motivated by self-interest. Although, keep in mind, all of his behavior is actually detrimental to his self-interest. And most of the people who are bad people are doing things that are actually against their self-interest, despite believing. That and really, in, in really, the stuff that working the, in their self-interest, the stuff that sort of puts him on the path of uh, of rebelling against society, are the Ozu sorts of. Uh, traditions that he gets imposed on his his parents uh, arrange a marriage for him, right? Well, but to be fair, uh, I mean, like to be fair, to be um, fair. he presume uh, as far as I can tell, it's hard again with the timeline. He definitely rapes that young woman. Oh, yeah, before yeah, yeah, yeah. he finds out he's in an arranged marriage. Uh, it feels like. Because yeah. otherwise, if you wanted it to be other way, the the director would obviously set it up for us in the opposite order, right? Yeah, we you wouldn't you wouldn't reveal that. You know what I mean? Like she's three months pregnant when she comes talks to him. We it's fair safe to assume that he has not had this arranged marriage set up for three months. Yeah. Um. It, it, and so, like, yes and no, right? Like, the director puts those things in this movie. To show that this this is a world that's still trying to function the way that it's air quotes meant to function, but it doesn't work for everybody. It's not a it's not functional for all of society actually, right? And we encounter that with the innkeeper, right? Uh, she she couldn't follow the path that she's that she's supposedly meant to follow, right? Yeah. And not all the people he kills are bad people. As far as we can tell, the lawyer we have not we know nothing about the lawyer, other than the fact that he happens to be a lawyer who lives in a shitty apartment, which would imply he's probably not super great at his job. But he's not a bad person. We don't know anything else about him, right? He's killed before we get to meet anything other than learning where he fucking lives, basically. Yeah. And he's dead in a in a in a in a bureau. Next time we see him, right, um, is one of the person who dies. 
And and one of the people, one of the two truck drivers, is not drinking, and is described as being a rock for his in, his incorruptibility. Yeah. So I mean, it's not we're not even in horror movie territory where everybody does, sort of air quotes deserves what they're getting. There are some bad people in this movie, right? He and and to, in the presume you know I would assume because the director wants to show that there is there is a great spectrum of humanity. Uh, available that some people, lots of people are on this scale somewhere, and perhaps the lawyer is on this scale somewhere, but we'll never know because he was so irrelevant to our character that we don't learn anything about him. He was just a duty murdered so he could have a place to sleep. Yeah, basically, and steal some money. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so, so and then you know, yeah. What does the end mean? The ending, um, they're trying to cast him away, and yeah. he's uncast awayable. He's a part of them, no matter even though they are air quotes free of him. Yeah, he's there forever. He is in every sense of the word a, a ghost. They are going. He is going to follow them around forever. Okay, is what would be my my thought process on that. There are sort of more religious viewpoints to take on it uh but then it gets very confusing because they are he is a the the father is a christian yes uh and so like it gets more that that's even more of a fraught territory for me to try to run any sort of analysis on um they're not buddhist so like any sort of buddhist ideas about like what's going to happen to him are not relevant uh so i i don't have a lot of insight off of there i would argue that probably your best bet is this is a part of, and we see this for like, you know, as a sort of reflection in the, in the innkeeper's story, right? Her mother's murder haunts her. Right. Ruined her life and affected her life for the rest of her life, right? From the day that it happened until the day of her death when he kills her, her life is directly affected by what her mother did, right? She has to quit her job. She essentially takes up these activities, ends up being essentially a pimp and a uh, and 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 basically at the beck and call of this other really seedy dude because she that's all she could do, right? Right. Uh, so in that way, his life, you know, and their lives will be similarly affected, probably, you know. They will it will affect them as they go forward, and it, and that makes that story of that noodle shop owner all the more interesting, right? The, his sister, right? Right. Because you know, in some ways, this might be a meditation on you know that the end might be a commentary on what her life will be like and has been like, right? Because she will never escape. She she panics about what's going to happen. With these people here to shoot this movie, and the the two characters we're left with in the end of this movie will also experience that. They will, you know, their father's talking about just sort of checking him into himself into an old person's home. There's, there's talk about her changing her name and just trying to get married again, but she won't be able to escape it completely. She will have to tell the person she marries who she actually is, because a you can't actually just change your name in Japan. She could t- pick up her maiden name again. Yeah. Uh, would be totally fine and legal, but 
you can't just up and change your name in Japan legally. Um, so, like, you know, and it'll come out, right? Like, she, you know, we all know that she would eventually have to tell whoever she married the truth, right? Because uh, that's just not the sort of thing you can hide forever, right? You can't hide, oh, yeah, I'm the I'm the former, you know, I'm, I'm the the widow of famous murderer. Uh, it's a tough thing to hide, right? She was even on TV talking about it, apparently, or they talked about that. Yeah, in the movie, the idea that she was on TV giving like some documentary or some interview or something about it. So, yeah. What I'm most interested, honestly, in this movie is that like about the the original real character, like killer that this is based on. I don't have a lot of information about him. Uh, even the Japanese Wikipedia does not have a ton of information about it. I would be curious to how much of this is stuff that uh, our director invented and how much of this is uh, legit stuff. You know, like there's all this extra sort of... uh, There's all this extra stuff about like um, his, uh, you know, like motivations and like the fact that like, you know, what's happening with his wife and his father and stuff. Like how much of that is real and how much of that is just sort of movie cruft yeah yeah given given how little information we have on uh on the actual killer uh, yeah i mean even reading the japanese web wikipedia is just not yeah. like he only actually killed four people uh the original two in fukuoka and then another two one in saga it looks like which is where i live although i might be wrong about that i had to actually read that the the Wikipedia is not super clear yeah. about him, even in Japanese. But the point being that, like, already the numbers are different, right? Like, we're already at different numbers. Yeah. Uh, so I, I imagine some fairly, uh, fairly high number of things in this are just movie telling, right? Or just movie storytelling. Yeah, he he killed two people. No, he didn't even kill anybody in Saga. He just used that to try to fake suicide. Yeah. Uh, a trip to Saga will do that to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He killed, like, the other two people he killed in Shizuoka, which is where Hamamatsu is. I mean, that that checks out. But, again, the details are super uh, not there on the Wikipedia page. The Oh, yeah. In November, the in, he killed an in manager's, manager's parent and child by him. Yeah, he killed. The writing on this is weird. But, yeah. yeah. He killed, uh, it does look like he did kill five people. Uh, but he killed the lawyer after killing the innkeeper and and child. Um, well, because wait a minute. Oh yeah, okay. It says total of five. That's so weird. Yeah. Okay, because it says that's so weird. <laughs> the way this is written is very funky. Okay, yeah. No, it does say five total on the on the Japanese one and stole eighty. What is it? Yeah. Uh, 80 mon, which is not a ton of money. It's like $8,000 total. Yeah. Uh, so. Apparently an 11-year-old girl uh, was the one who identified him and turned yeah, him Yeah, so the they police. swapped that they swapped out the the, the former prostitute as yeah. for the the or not for the the prostitute as a as a for the 11-year-old girl, <laughs> which is its own mess. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to assume it just felt more th- thematically appropriate than just yeah. rando 11-year-old. I guess it was daughter of the lawyer that he was visiting or something. Yeah. Yeah, but still very little information about uh about I mean we'd we'd have to read Saki's book, I'm I'm sure. 
Um, yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's way. It's probably a significantly over my head, and b like I don't enjoy cr- true crime stories very much in general. Oh, as it as it turns like, out, uh, Saki's book is is Saki's book does the uh, anonymization of the case. That's not that's not Imamura working off of Saki's book oh, okay. and changing things. Saki's is Saki's is torn from the headlines, but but not uh, not a direct retelling of the case. So well, interesting, yeah. That I mean, I can see that. There, yeah, that makes sense. There would be a lot of privacy concerns for the people, the families of the victims and stuff. He wouldn't. He would have to specifically have rights to like yeah. name them in the book be very challenging so that uh, makes sense yeah so so reading the book doesn't necessarily won't really help at all it, yeah it won't help, help me even a little bit yeah so that's yeah. that's great yeah so we don't know uh still don't know anything background about the murder yeah so i mean i mean well we know what's on the legit wikipedia page but that's yeah. it right i mean like that's what we've got basically uh so yeah So, I mean, yeah, the movie. Uh, the, I will. I will never watch this movie again. Very <laughs> I did not. I did not enjoy it. Right. I found it extremely painful to watch. Right. But unlike, to watch. unlike a lot of painful and stressful movies, I also don't know that I got enough out of this to even be glad I watched it the first time. Um. I. I'm. I'm kind of there. I actually kind of am. Uh. I think it probably has something to do with it being about Japan and that being a different thing for me than it is for you probably. Yeah. Uh, because I don't see, I have not watched a lot of, I have not seen a lot of true crime stuff in Japan. And that could, that's definitely me specifically. Uh, and I've not seen, and especially what I have seen has not been very well done. Um, so on a scale, on that scale, this was a better tale telling of true crime drama than I've seen out of Japan. Generally speaking, for me personally, so yeah. Again, it's not a genre I, ch- I seek out. So I mean, there could be significantly better ones, but I mean, it's it seems like it's fairly well regarded within yeah. Japan as a as a story, and I can kind of see that, right? Like as a sort of movement towards gritty realism in Japan in the sixties and seventies, it makes sense. Yeah. Now, of course, right. I have I have also watched uh, nearly a hundred and eighty more movies since we watched the pornographers, but I. Uh, I feel better about this movie than I felt when we watched. I do the too. Yeah, I I got done with pornographers and was like, well, that was garbage, uh, yeah. pretty much. And I don't have that feeling without this. I like I said, I will not watch this movie again. Yeah. I think, but I don't feel like I wasted my time. Yeah, uh, to be to be sort of honest about uh, about the process of doing this podcast, I think there were a lot of movies earlier that we we would have more easily dismissed and this may even have been one of them if we had watched it yeah. in the first 200 films as opposed to now. Yeah, and well and that's but, a, that's sort of a double-edged sword, right? Because we were also kind of just shitty at this in the first 200 film, or, you know, yeah. first ones. And I and I know that's what you're going for, but also like I also mean that like the pornographers may also be in that boat too, right? Like yeah. I don't actually know how good the pornographers were. Like I have a much better grasp on like every film after like 250 or whatever. <laughs> right. Than I do on the first 250. Right. And some of that's time, right? Like, I mean, who knows? I'm sure we'll look back at this era 
three years from now and be like, God, we were bad at this. <laughs> Always hate everything. Yeah. As soon as it's we good, get it's by. It's good policy. Indeed. Oh. Well, I think we can probably pull this one to a close, Pat. We, we seem yeah. to be dying on things to talk about. Uh, so, well, and we've talked about this movie a lot, right, actually, considering right. like what the content is. I, right. I, unless you start going murder my but murder by murder, which is not a thing <laughs> I enjoy doing or thinking about, I'm pretty much spent on this movie. Which would you say was your favorite murder, Pat? The ones that don't show the murder. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. This week we've been talking about Vengeance is Mine from 1979, uh, directed by Shohei Imamura. Yeah. No one can tell the difference between our voices anyway. It's fine. Is that an actual true thing? No. No, I don't think so. I, well, I don't know. All right. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about uh, Army of Shadows, uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's 1969 adaptation of a memoir. Of why Charles de Gaulle was fucking awesome. Is what that <laughs> That is that is one of the contentious parts about this movie. Yes, yeah, it yeah. turns out. I just, I just like I wanted to jump in there real yeah. quick and be like, "This is what this movie's about." By yeah. the way, uh, no, but it is uh, it is based on Joseph Kessler's 1943 memoir of the same name about the French Resistance, which uh, Melville was also a member of. I uh, when we first encountered Melville, the story on him taking the name Melville was implied to be his. Uh, resistance code name and a code name he chose himself <clears throat> and i have since i have since read that they may, that may not be true uh oh no that it's apocryphal that sucks that that his his picking a melville during the resistance might be the apocryphal part um obviously melville is not his real name and he is right. in fact no. took I it from herman melville uh but uh he was born Jean-Pierre Grumbach. Uh, his, well, that's also just a terrible, terrible name to direct with. His so. family are Alsatian Jews, uh, and he uh, he maybe changed the name uh, separate be because to, he legally be changed his name. It wasn't just oh, his code true. name in the resistance. He legally changed his name to Melbourne. Right, right. Yeah, so and, this, the, the whole story gets more complicated, yeah, right? Yeah, and he he has, you know, awards from his time in the military with Melville they on have them. It. Right, so, okay. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a much more complicated yeah. complicated story. Yeah. So so I still think calling yourself Melville is a little silly. Uh but he he ultimately has better reasoning than our initial discussion of his of his name led us to believe. So uh more on that next week I'm sure as we talk about uh Army of Shadows from 1969. Thank you once again for listening to Lost Criterion. I am as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Hoatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Owatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. We'd appreciate it.